This episode was partially recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone, welcome to episode one of this mini VBAC series. For anyone who may not know, VBAC stands for Vaginal Birth After Caesarean. So I'm planning my own VBAC in January next year. I'm currently 25 weeks pregnant. I've become really passionate in the process about empowering fellow birthing people in making their own informed decisions, but I've basically created this series that contains everything that I want to know or learn as I prepare for my own VBAC. So I think that it's going to be really empowering for anyone else out there who's on their own VBAC journey or might be deciding between uh, whether they want to have a repeat cesarean or a VBAC, they've had their own VBAC or is even preparing for their first birth while hoping to avoid a cesarean. It's such a beautiful series. It's going to roll out over the next six-ish weeks and I'll be bringing about six or seven episodes in that time in which I chat with some truly wonderful people. Also, all of our guests, except for one, I believe, have had VBACs themselves, which is incredible. We've also got two special episodes lined up at the series end featuring women sharing their own VBAC journeys. I am so freaking proud of this series and I think that it's just, yeah, it's going to provide a wealth of information for anyone out there. So I'd love if you would share this series with anyone you know who is considering a VBAC or is on their own VBAC journey already. I also would like to quickly preface that uh, while the series is intended to inspire and empower you with information, you should always also consult your care provider for your individual health and circumstances. So in today's episode, we're joined by the amazing Megan Heaton from the VBAC link. She unpacks the risks and benefits associated with both VBACs and repeat cesareans, diving into uterine rupture and VBAC statistics as well as some cesarean statistics. I think it's so important to consider these two topics, especially for anyone out there who's currently deciding which is the best option for them out of a repeat C-section or VBAC. So I thought this was a really important episode to start the series with. I do believe that the risks of VBAC are so much more readily offered by providers without discussing the risks that occur in a repeat C-section or in the subsequent C-sections after that if you do want that bigger family. Megan also talks about why she started the VBAC link and what she's learned from hearing so many women's VBAC stories over the past five years, how she became a doula and some takeaway tips for anyone on their own VBAC journey. Megan herself had a VBAC after two cesareans, so we get to hear that beautiful story near the end of the episode as well. So now I'm going to hand over to the passionate and empowering Megan. Hi, Megan. I'm so excited to be chatting with you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I always love talking VBAC. Yes. Yep. And you have a great podcast, the VBAC link, which anyone in the VBAC space has probably heard of already. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, um, a little bit of a background for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So as you were saying, my name is Megan and I am actually from Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I became VBAC passionate after having two unexpected, undesired C-sections myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had you know, my first one, just went in, had a baby, you know, and uh, just wasn't expecting any of it. And then the second one, I actually wanted to have a VBAC. Um, I was I was toe lacking trial of labor oh after gosh, cesarean, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, just didn't have the support and ended up walking down to the OR for a repeat cesarean. And after that, I became a doula and definitely became very passionate mm-hmm. uh, in the VBAC world and avoiding unnecessary cesareans. And that's the biggest thing is like cesareans are life-saving, mm-hmm. right? They are, can be amazing and they don't also have to be traumatic. Um, and some people choose them without, you know, needing to medically be necessary and that's okay too. Um, but I just wanted to help people as a doula feel supported and not feel cornered like I did <laughs> with my second, um, and then help know that, you know, the knowledge. And so, yeah, I became a doula and then I became pregnant with my third, um, really wanted a VBAC still, which is a VBAC after two or VBA2C. And um, anyway, lined up my team, gathered the information and I had a beautiful birth experience and um, definitely became even harder uh, passionate wise in the VBAC world. And a girlfriend of mine uh, approached me and she was my old partner at the VBAC link. And she approached me and said, Hey, we should start talking about this with the world and educating. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And here we are. So, or here I am so many years later, um, educating and supporting and, um, guiding people to know their options for birth after cesarean. Yeah. Amazing. So good. Thank you so much for putting all that information out there. Cause it's, yeah, it's instrumental for so many people. I think in yeah, yeah. the comments that I see around your page and everything, it's, yeah, it's amazing. How, mm-hmm. how long now have you been doing the pod? So let's see, we started in 2015, yeah. no, 18, 18, yeah. 2018, yeah. Uh, 2018, so 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, five years. Wow, amazing. So good. And no mm. no sign of stopping anytime soon. No sign yeah. of stopping anytime Great. soon. Oh. The love, the passion, it's only mm-hmm. continuing to grow. Yeah, oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to delve a little bit later on into more about your experience and what you've learned about VBAC and birth in general from the podcast, but I thought we'd delve into our questions first so that you can kind of refer back to those great statistics you're going to bring up. But I wanted to start with um, weighing up the options for anyone who's currently listening and maybe is deciding between having a repeat C-section or a VBAC. They're thinking, what are my options? What's going to be the best for me? Can you tell Mm -hmm. us what some risks and benefits are that are associated with both a repeat cesarean and then a VBAC? 
Absolutely. And I just want to preface that if you are wanting to have a VBAC or wanting to decide if you're wanting to have a VBAC or a repeat C-section, whoever you are interviewing or whoever your provider is should be going over both of these things with you, both, not mm-hmm. just one. Mm-hmm. Um, we unfortunately see worldwide uh, too many providers uh, heavily leaving the the what-ifs and the bad things on just VBAC. And so that's why I'm so excited that you're asking me this question so we can go over the risks of both because there are risks associated with both. And that's important to know. Um, so let's talk, let's talk VBAC uh, first since we're talking VBAC, but then let's talk cesarean. So um, risks, and I'm going to talk mom. So risks for mom right? Um, for VBAC, the number one risk is you, that's talked about a lot is uterine rupture, mm-hmm. right? The big, so scary uterine rupture, <laughs> a big scary. I mean, and it is, yeah. it is a very a rupture, big, scary like, <laughs> rupture. My body's going like, to rupture. What the hell? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so when we hear that, we think, uh, yeah, we're not going to go with that option because that is scary. And we'll talk more about the statistics in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, uterine rupture, that's one of the number ones that you'll hear about. Um, but then we have things like tearing vaginally or even rectally, mm-hmm. right? We have risks. It's it's a vaginal, it's a birth, it's a risk for vaginal birth. Um, hemorrhoids from pushing that can be a little rough. Uh, pelvic floor issues, maybe urinary incontinence, um, prolapse, both rectally and vaginally. Actually, uh, we have some risks with hard pushing and things like that. Um, we have a chance of having um, failure to progress. And I'm doing very big air quotes mm-hmm. right now where our body doesn't progress in a matter of time of maybe someone someone's timeline or whatever. Um, so we have that chance. Um, let's see a longer labor. We know that first time, second time, even third time vaginal births, um, especially if you haven't had a vaginal birth before it, you have a chance of a longer labor and that can be exhausting and daunting in itself. Right. Um, and then we've got risk to baby um, in a vaginal birth. If baby gets stuck, we may need, um, you know, the doctor provider may use forceps or vacuum. So there's a slight risk there. Um, risk of uh, shoulder dystocia if maybe the baby's struggling to come out. Um, risk of, um, there's sometimes like little like bruises and things within um, the scalp. If they're coming down like an asynclitic position or transverse or something, they may get little bruises um, coming through the vaginal canal too. If it's a really tighter, you know, a tighter fit, uh, they can get bruised. Or if they have those forceps, we can, you know, there's some higher risks um, there and some scarier words, but like brain damage, right? Like those are some those are some real risks that we don't want to forget about. Um, and then if, you know, we have shoulder dystocia, we can have like broken collarbones and things like that. Um, so you, you hear those risks and you're like, holy cow. Wow. Those are some risks, you know, and those can be really scary. But if you really look at all of them, most of those risks are just associated with vaginal birth. Right. Um, so failure to progress, failure to descend, um, uterine rupture, those are the most associated for mom um, surrounding VBAC. So, and then we have risk of cesarean. And risk of cesarean is, uh, if you think of the word C section and what that entails, a major surgery. 
right? So that's a big risk, just taking a risk within a surgery. Longer um, recovery sometimes with that. Uh, other complications like hemorrhaging um, or uh, this sounds, and I torn the sound, and I don't want any of this to sound scary, <laughs> but um, they can sometimes nick organs like a bladder um, when they're mm. cutting through. Um, there's a lot of layers that they have to go through. And so it's a lot deeper of a healing um, that sometimes is really, really hard to recover from. So the injury of the organs, um, adhesions, dense adhesions. So anytime the body is cut anywhere, um, our body starts creating scar tissue, right? And that can, um, that scar tissue can be created on the inside and we can get adhesions where um, it actually adheres to other organs like our bladder or, you know, things like that. So then we're actually having back pain, but we don't realize we're having back pain because we had a C-section. Um, so further complications like that, or um, maybe even like accreta. After each C-section, our chances of accreta do go up. So um, that's C-section. And then for baby, we've got um, some breathing issues. When our babies come down through our pelvis, um, they're naturally squeezed really tight, right? And fluid, it comes out. And so sometimes our babies that are born via cesarean can have a little bit more fluid um, in their lungs and in their chest, and they have to kind of get that worked out. And sometimes there can be breathing issues. Um, there's also injury, risk of injury for the fetus, uh, where sometimes a baby can be nicked. Um, you know, and about one and a half babies and like a hundred, so very little, but still, um, maybe nicked like on a shoulder or a head or something like that. Um, so, uh, delayed breastfeeding, sometimes babies that are born via cesarean will have some delay in breastfeeding. And that also is the mom. Sometimes milk can come in later. There's a lot that goes on, um, possible lower immune system or asthma and things like that can be also associated. Mm -hmm. So risk mm -hmm. on both sides. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And thanks for breaking those down because, yeah, as you say, it's often just this uterine rupture is the main thing that you hear about with a VBAC yes. and what so many providers kind of use, um, unfortunately, in some cases to kind of coerce people into deciding to have a repeat Caesar. Absolutely. And as, yeah. as we were discussing before we hit record, we're talking about how many the statistics of people that actually tried for a VBAC, um, you know, based on everything that they're told. Could you just quickly delve into that as well? How many people, what percentage of people who have had a cesarean before will actually try for a vaginal birth? Yeah. So I think right now in the U.S. at least it's about 13% that people will go for it. Um, but like really up to even 90% qualify for a vaginal birth, but you know, 10 to 13% will actually even go for it. Mm -hmm. Right. But then 60 to 80% of those people actually succeed in having a vaginal birth. Yeah. 60 to 80%. Yeah. It's a very, very high number, right? And honestly, I think based off of situations, it could be even higher than that, in my opinion. That's not any mm. stats or anything. <laughs> That's just my own opinion. Um, but I believe that the VBAC um, success rate is even higher than that and could be higher than that. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of a cesarean as well, I've heard, you know, we, he we hear uterine rupture thrown around for a VBAC, but mm -hmm. it can actually happen I spoke to someone who said the only uterine rupture they've seen in however many years was actually in a first-time mum birthing 
vaginally, right? She'd never had a C-section before. And also you can also have a uterine rupture on the surgical table having a cesarean. You know, it's it, this, the risk is still there. It's a minimal risk, <laughs> but it's still there, right? Yeah, so it is. And that's something that's not even talked about in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's called an uh, on an unscarred uterus. There is still a chance of having a uterine rupture. And in addition, just having a repeat cesarean does not eliminate you from the chances of having a uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. a scheduled repeat set, cesarean, right? Like you can actually have a uterine rupture in the OR, yep. <laughs> which is crazy. So um, yeah, so it's pretty pretty small. Um, it's like one in like 22,000, maybe 20,000 mm-hmm. um, that will actually have a uterine rupture on an unscarred uterus. So pretty low, um, but it can happen. It can happen. Um, and really, I think if we stress our uteruses out enough, like it, it can happen and that's hard and that's scary, but um, it's not talked about. So yeah, it's still low. I mean, one in 22,000, you know, it's pretty low, but the uterine rupture rate is 0.4 to about 1.1%. Yeah. So still very low, still, right? Still low, yeah, yeah. And for some people, you know, yeah. that, that number might just be too much of a risk and that's completely fine if it is but yeah yeah for what, what yeah. when you really look into it for me I know that I, yeah I find that it that statistic is feels okay for me to work with yeah and I think you know that that point exactly is something that everyone needs to consider like you know, for me, I, my VBAC after two cesarean, I'm like, okay, I'm approximately in the 1%. That risk is acceptable for me, yeah. but it might not be acceptable for Jane next door. You know, like I, it might not, and that's okay. And so I think what's so important as you're walking through this journey of preparing and learning about the risks and the pros and the cons of both um, uterine ru- or uterine rupture of uh, VPAC and repeat cesarean, I think it's important to take note and say like, okay, I'm learning this risk. I hear this risk. I see this risk. I'm okay with this risk. Or I hear this risk. I see this risk. No, I'm not okay with this. And that's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what our care providers are there for, to monitor you closely, um, however that looks for Mm -hmm. any signs of uterine rupture. So it's, you know, it's not yes. like something crazy will just happen and you'll just completely rupture on the table. Like there's, there's steps that are taken very early to, to jump in Yeah. There. And I, that's like such a great topic right there because so many people fear that it's just going to be like, boom, like it happened and it's over and it's not, it's not like that. Mm. Usually, like you said, there are signs, multiple signs leading up to a uterine rupture and um and those those providers should be trained in watching out for those signs and um you know the one uterine rupture i've seen it was in someone having a a trial of labor after cesarean going for a v-back um uh, there was a lot of pitocin and stuff involved and uh, which we'll talk about as well um but it happened and it happened for two hours it was happening for two hours before anyone even said 
okay, yeah, let's for sure go. I mean, I was saying, hey, like, got this symptom and this symptom and this symptom and this symptom now, like, oh, I think we might be looking at a uterine rupture. And they're like, no. Like, it's just like, it was like, no, they, they, they weren't just, they were disregarding it because the baby wasn't struggling because that's one of the number one signs Mm. of baby struggling. So also take note that even though baby's not struggling, there are other signs to watch out for. And if you know those signs going in, I think you should, you should always know. Um, because again, I don't think that they were looking at it um, like ignoring it. They weren't trying to ignore it, but it was like, well, this is the number one sign and it's not happening, but there were all these other signs. But my whole point is two hours, you guys, two hours before we called the cesarean and went in, she had a two centimeter rupture. Everyone was fine. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of crazy to, to talk about this number and it can be scary. So I'm sorry if it is triggering for this audience, but the stats show that about 6% of uterine ruptures. Okay. So if you look at 0.4 to 1.1 ish, 6% of that, which is very small, um, would actually be catastrophic. And if baby's term and there are certain like situations that actually lower it, like even to like 3%. Right. So we never want to de- deval- devalue or diminish like the overall outcomes of uterine rupture, right? Like they can be serious mm. and we hope that they're not, but they can be. And so we want to talk about that. So, okay, like this little, but then this much, okay. That's still a very small number where, and, and when I say catastrophic, it's like loss of life. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. Yeah is a small, very, very small percentage of those people who rupture, which is already quite a minimal percentage in itself. Quite so minimal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. But when you're, when you're in the position of weighing these things out, it's, but what if I'm in that 1%? Yeah. And that's, what's really, really difficult, um, to work through that. What if, yeah, right. Exactly. But knowing again, that there's so many signs leading up. If you educate yourself along the way, you can say, okay, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Let's do this next step, right? Plan B. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And with people who do have repeat cesareans, just decide to have repeat cesareans, is there something that they have to consider in terms of, you know, um, I've heard doctors and obstetricians and midwives say that, you can only have X number of C-sections, meaning that, you know, if you're someone Mm. that wanted a bigger family, say you wanted three or four or five children and you've Mm -hmm. had a few repeat cesareans, is kind of there a a recommended limit on that? Um, So that tends to vary, I feel like, per physician or provider. Um, I know someone who's had eight cesareans. and has had no issues. Every time they go in, her scar tissue looks okay. They remove the scar tissue. I mean, all those things. Um, but you know, when you're getting to like four and five providers are kind of like, Oh, I think you should be done having kids. Um, right. And, and that's the, and when, if, if you are having that many, they usually encourage induction a little bit earlier, like 38 ish, 39 weeks. Um, just because they worry about your body going into labor. 
um, and they worry about the chances of uterine rupture, which I wish we had more concrete, hard evidence. Um, but I mean, it's not happening. It was, it's really hard to get like that awesome, amazing, hardcore study evidence when we're not having people have, you know, vaginal births and things like that and, and letting people go past those dates to really see what would, what would happen. Mm, yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I mean, four or five is like most people's cutoff, but I don't necessarily see that there's an exact like limit. Like you cannot, your uterus cannot handle this more, but I mean, each time you cut into a uterus, right, you're raising your risk of, of things in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what is the ideal time between having a C-section and, um, you know, conception for your best chance of having a V-back? Yeah, that's a really great question. And probably one of the um, top five questions mm-hmm. <laughs> actually that we get in our community is, well, can I have a, can I have a VBAC if I accidentally got pregnant when my baby's, you know, seven months old? Um, and the, and the answer is not concrete on that either. It's not like, no, you can't. Um, but the recent, most recent evidence shows that around 24 months, you know, 18 to 24, 24 being the most ideal, um, you have a less chance of uterine rupture and more chance of success in a vaginal birth, but that doesn't mean you can't have a vaginal birth. It doesn't mean you can't have a VBAC safely. Right. Um, so like we have a mama in our community that I just recently connected with and she got pregnant at four months. <laughs> it just, it just happened. And, um, she's going for a VBAC now and she's found a provider to support her in that. And that's another tricky thing is if you don't fit within that 18 to 24 month range, you may have a hard time finding a provider that will support you, um, in, in fear that it may risk, you know, raise your chances, but of uterine rupture, cause they're, they're showing that the uterus overall does heal better within longer time, right? I mean, I mean, you have a surgery and you're more recovered after seven months than you are two months, right? And you, same thing, you're more recovered and stronger. But I think something to know is if you've had a cesarean, um, what you should be focusing on is your nutrition. Mm-hmm healing that uterus really, really well, giving the body its nutrients and the hydration that it needs so it can recover stronger. Yeah. Okay. Great. And yeah, let's delve into some of the uterine rupture statistics. You've mentioned that Mm. a little bit, but yeah. Can you tell us like the overall statistics of uterine rupture? How does that differ from, you know, one, two, three cesareans? Yeah. Um, so uterine rupture in general is around 0.4 to like one to 1.1%, right? Um, some people can raise that chance, those risks based off of different studies, but overall about 0.4 to 1.1. Um, and, uh, VBAC after two cesarean is considered pretty much comparable to that, maybe like over on the 1% range. Um, and, uh, you know, obstetricians all around the world say, you know, you've had one. Okay. You've had two. All right. Like ACOG here in the U S like they say it's completely reasonable to have a VBAC after two cesareans, but after three, it, you know, our rate, our chances go up just a little bit, right? Cause we are, we are cutting into our uterus multiple times. Um, but we don't know the exact concrete evidence again, because we just don't, 
we haven't, we don't allow it to happen. They're just kind of foggy, you yeah. know, those three, four, five, six. Um, but it does show, you know, each, each cesarean, it maybe go up a little bit. And so, you know, you may go from 1.1% to maybe, you know, this is, I'm just pulling these numbers that aren't real, but like, um, like 1.8%, right? Um, so it's a slight increase, but not a ton or 2%. Um, so, but some, some people saying like, there are some studies, but they're really, really small out there showing that VBAC after like three cesareans is like in the 3% range. Um, but again, those, those studies are really, really small. They're, they're minimal. And I just feel like it's so hard to, to say exactly like after three plus C-sections, you're this percent chance or like we've had providers say 60% chance. So I'm like, how do we go from 1.1 wow, to 60? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a fear, right? So I think it's just really important to know that, you know, one to two, it's it's around 0.4 to 1.1. And then after that, it, it may be a slight increase, but I don't think it's necessarily dra- that dramatic. Mm. Um, so, and then, uh, certain things can increase your chances, even just with one or two cesareans, right? Things like Pitocin. So we talked about that a little bit ago. Pitocin can raise your chances in that like 1.1% chance. Um, especially if we're pushing it really hard and, and, you know, exhausting our bodies and our uterus is out with Pitocin. Um, but with that said, Pitocin isn't necessarily a contraindication against feedback. You can still have Pitocin. You can still be induced with Pitocin and safely VBAC and have no issues, but it does slightly, you know, about 1% increase your chances of uterine rupture, right? Um, So then there's like uh, prostaglandins. um, So those are like things that go in and like help soften the cervix, right? And that can raise your chances of about 2%. So anytime we are augmenting our labors, we are raising our chances slightly, right? And so, so I think a big question is, how do we lower our chances? Is that a thing? Can we? How do we know if we're going to rupture? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's a real good question. How do we know? We, we don't. Unfortunately, I wish there was like a crystal ball to be like, you will for sure, you will not even come close, you know? Um, but lowering our chances of having a vaginal birth in general whether it be a VBAC or previous or whatever, um, having a vaginal birth in general helps reduce those chances um, of, of, of a VBAC or a um, uterine rupture. Um, let's see, waiting be- between those pregnancies, which we talked about, right? Like that, that is going to help your chances, right? Um, spontaneous labor, we just talked about it. Induction and things like that can increase your chances. So waiting for your body, trusting your body to do its own thing, letting it produce its own hormones at the right time that it needs, um, that can help. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to know what to do, but those are our chances and, and multiple cesareans increase a little bit, but not impossible. Like we have moms on our podcast that have had VBACs with three, four, and even five cesareans. Yeah, wow. And have zero, zero complications. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily encouraging like every single person who's had a VBAC after three plus cesareans out there to to have a vaginal birth, but I don't necessarily think it's completely out of the cards. And I don't think it should be completely just be like, no, you can't. 
right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. And then, and then I was going to say too, um, I think they with back with like the extreme circumstances, like the longer we go into pregnancy, like the better, but some providers will say like after 40 weeks, you can't continue going because your chances of uterine rupture go up. Um, and the AJOG, the um, American Journal of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, they have a thing showing that after 38 weeks, uh, three, four, or five cesareans, that we might have an increase of uterine rupture there. Mm-hmm. So if you're going for a VBAC after three, four, or five cesareans, you may want to have that discussion um, with your provider. Okay, great, cool. Yeah, so we've kind of we've spoken about how that's how the rupture is detected if it does occur a little bit but is there anything that we as birthing people can do during labor to kind of you know know if that if something's happening or um do we just leave that up to the care provider to detect no i yeah i think i think you personally um, as as the one giving birth like I think it's really important for you to know these signs and um, okay. So let's talk. Okay. Let's talk about some of the main signs, right? So we talked about a little bit. Number one sign is fetal distress. And this one can be really hard and it can be really um, scary as someone giving birth, especially if you're being monitored all the time, which usually for anyone having it going for a VBAC is like a requirement that it's always, you're always on that monitor. But babies' heart rates go up and down. They just do. They go up and down, right? But I'm t- when I'm talking about like feed, true fetal distress is like when our babies are tanking, I mean, in the 70s, 60s, even 80s, really low, and they're not coming up. Mm-hmm. They're not coming up. And they are showing they are not doing well. And it turns into, we need to change plans right now. That could be a sign of uterine rupture is a fetal distress right? Um, some other signs are, um, delayed dilation or like stall in dilation dilation. And this one can be tricky too. I feel like because our bodies aren't robots, right? We don't all dilate exactly the same. And sometimes we do stall out a little bit at four or five centimeters or even eight centimeters because our body needs a little rest or our baby's position is less ideal. And we need to work with our baby's position to put more pressure on the cervix and help that labor progress. But this is um, like a weird, like where we've been progressing really, really, really well. And then all of a sudden we're stalling and nothing's happening or we're regressing. Meaning like, like our, like station wise, our baby, we were maybe not centimeters, hundred percent of face and our baby was at a zero station. We're working on getting to 10 centimeters so we can start pushing and letting our baby come down a little bit more. But all of a sudden, um, you know, we, our baby's really high. Mm. That could be a, a symptom that maybe we've got some things going on there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, where our baby is coming up versus down. And then this is also a tricky thing too. Um, parents listening is it, everybody's fingers are different sizes right? And these are centimeters. So my finger and your finger might be longer or shorter or wider. And so you might say zero station, I might say plus one station. So very similar, like that is in the dramatic, but where we're like really regressing and our baby was really low and all of a sudden really high. Mm -hmm. And we've been, we're stalling at dilation. And now our baby's kind of having some weird D cells, you know, a lot of those symptoms together, especially, um, 
would be signs that maybe something is happening. Um, another really good sign is pain, extreme, like sharp pain. Now, what does labor come with? <laughs> the pain, discomfort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not just a you know it's not just a walk in the park. It it is painful, and um, so so that's something that can be tricky too. Cause you're like, I, especially if you've never labored before, like this, is this it? Is this pain uterine rupture? And it can be low, right? It can be low. Um, but this pain, uh, and I've never personally felt it. I've only witnessed, um, a really dear friend of mine have it and gotten her like diet, um, you know, whatever ex- example. Um, and pretty much she said that it felt like a knife was stabbing in her and moving up and down. Wow. And it was sharp and fiery. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it did not go away. Yep. So right there. So we have labor pains. It's just, dis- it's discomfort, right? We're not super comfortable. And then our contraction stops and it goes away. When we have a uterine rupture, it oftentimes, um, sorry, it goes away. When we have uterine rupture, it doesn't go away and it increases 10 times, you know, when it is having a contraction and it's still really bad when it's not. Um, so that extreme pain, usually down in the lower uterine, you know, incision site. Um, now if you have an epidural in play, um, uh, which is just fine as well for anyone wanting to have a VBAC, if you want to go to an epidural, that's cool. Um, sometimes that will radiate up. That pain will radiate up into like the part that you can feel. Um, so if you're kind of having weird sensations up there and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right, you know, speak up. Mm. Um, so yeah, bleeding, that's another one, like really strong, lot of blood. Um, bleeding also is very normal in pregnancy and birth, (laughs) right? Uh, Or not pregnancy as much, but birth. Um, and so that's normal, but this is like a lot of blood. We're bleeding a lot. Um, so that's a, that's a big red flag. So all of these symptoms can leave us with question during labor, but all of these symptoms should like, if we have, if we're questioning, it's probably pretty minimal versus like something is wrong. Mm. Right. And a lot of the times we'll have multiple, like I said, we'll have multiple things kind of happening at the same time. So like my friend, it was her, her, her stall. She stalled a dilation for hours and hours on end. Um, her baby started going up. She couldn't be touched. Her belly hurt. Um, you know, she was having that fiery stabbing feeling, um, things like that, uh, that told us that something was going on. So being aware of those, I think are completely, uh, important. And not and not waiting for a care provider to say, eh, it could just be a hot spot in the epidural. Like if something doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. 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 And you as the birthing person, if it's not feeling right for you, you'll probably know, you know, it, you know, like that stabbing pain is going to be significantly different to yeah. the normal labor pains. And so, yeah, so it mm-hmm. seems like it's a kind of a culmination of these symptoms that start happening and once there's a few yeah. of them presenting, then that's when we might investigate yeah. further. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's hard, like my friend, she she didn't know necessarily. And I started recognizing it. And then the people went out and I commented and I said, hey, like, I know you want this so bad and I want this for you too, but this is what I am seeing and this is what I'm thinking. And she was like, yeah, something's not right. 
Yeah. You know, and it was like she, she knew. knew. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Yeah. For unpacking all of those, I think it's really important to really break it down. And I think that the statistics can be tricky for people to to find. So having them on this digestible platform, I hope has been helpful for people to hear. Um, yeah. Is there any more kind of statistics or anything about VBAC overall that you would want to share, um, you know, comparing repeat Caesar, VBAC, anything like that as a little takeaway on these topics? Um, yeah. So I think uh, it's really important to know that there's no wrong way to birth. Absolutely no wrong way. So no matter if you decide to have a VBAC or not, like that's okay. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Joe Schmo can be, have their opinions, but what's most important is that you make the best choice that, you know, is for you. And so getting this education along the way, um, is so important and weighing out the pros and cons can be tricky, right? Because there are risks for both. Um, I mean, I've had a VBAC after two C-sections and I've had two C-sections. Um, I had one with an epidural, one with a spinal and then an unmedicated VBAC. And, um, None of my births were horrendous or traumatic, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but I, yeah, I did. I loved my VBAC. I loved my VBAC. But I'll also cherish my C-sections with the bottom from the bottom of my heart because it is what brought me to this journey today. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's important for you to know that like one, there's no wrong way to birth. Never judge yourself on what mainstream media is saying that you should or should not do this or that, like that doesn't matter. Um, and do what's best for you weigh all these pros and cons. And like we were talking about, see what's most applicable to you. If this is okay for you, if this is acceptable for you, go for it. If it's not, don't go for it. Right. And that plays on both ways. Um, for cesarean, if you're going to choose a cesarean, um, I think it's important to note that there are gentle ways to have a cesarean. You can have skin to skin. You can see your baby in some straits um, and countries is specifically actually Australia right now is working on maternal assisted cesareans, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. It is amazing to me. And it's important because for those parents who want to be more part of their birth and really into it, um, that's a really great option, right? So that's where you get to lift your baby up out of your abdominal cavity yourself, like, which is really cool up to your chest. Um, so playing music, doing, um, milking the cord, doing, you know, all these things, breastfeeding in the OR, these things are possible. And it is important to know that if you choose a repeat cesarean, it doesn't have to be a standard surgery. Doesn't, it can still be a beautiful birth, right? It can still be a beautiful experience. And if you're not interested in all of that, guess what? That doesn't mean it's not beautiful either, right? Just know that you do have those options. You have those options for a cesarean as well. And say you choose a second cesarean, your chances of a VBAC are gone. You can still have a you know VBAC or a three cesareans. You can still go on and choose to have a VBAC. Um, so I think some of the biggest takeaways is get the education, see what's you know gonna be best a best fit for you. Um, find a provider. Finding a provider can be tricky, mm-hmm. very tricky. Um, ask those questions to those providers, open-ended questions only, not yes and no. Do you support VBAC? It's easy for you to say, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> nope. When it comes down sure. to it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sure. Yeah. You could call me that. Mm -hmm. You could call me supportive. Right. But that doesn't necessarily say if they're really supportive or not. Right. Instead of asking things like that, say, okay, I really want to VBAC. Can you give me the options for both VBAC and repeat cesarean? What are the risks? What are the cons? What do you think about it? Right. And if they say things like, oh, there's no risk of a cesarean and VBAC, you know, that uterine rupture, it's pretty scary. And yeah, I don't really like them. Then you know you're not a good provider, you know, with a good provider if you're wanting to have a VBAC. So yeah, so getting a good provider, hiring a doula, listening to birth stories. (laughs) Yes, we do too. And believing in yourself. Believe in yourself, your ability to birth a baby, because so many times on our op reports, we're told we were failure to progress, we were failure to descend, our pelvis is too small, which, oh my gosh, that's a whole nother podcast episode, all of those reasons for cesareans and and how to get us out of that, because that can be really hard. Um, let's not believe those things, right? You don't have to believe those things. Just because they were put on an, op, uh, an operating report doesn't mean that are true. I was told I would never get a baby ever out of my pelvis. Wow. Never. Mm, I pushed twice. Great language. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I pushed twice. Had a baby vaginally, no tearing. Mm, wow. Like how amazing. Yeah. It was so amazing. I'm very grateful for that experience, but I'm also grateful to know I was capable of doing that because I started to doubt it after so many people told me I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't doubt yourself. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, like all, all of this language is, makes it so easy for that doubt to come in. And yeah, I too hate that word failure. My C-section was failure to progress. Um, and I think that it's so damaging, even, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, like feedback success, feedback failure. I think both of those kind of terms can make people feel you know, like, yeah, like they failed if they have a repeat C-section. And I just want to say to anybody mm-hmm. that if that does happen if you've tried to go down the VBAC kind of path and you end up having a repeat cesarean you haven't failed you know like your body has not failed you (laughs) it doesn't mean that you can't have a VBAC again in the future and you have still birthed your baby I think that's a really important thing as well you know a lot of times cesareans just you know not even put down with a birth or something for a lot of people and it still is a birth you can make a plan for a like if you do have a cesarean you can make like your alternate scenario of like what happens there what can I play in terms of my music what who do I want in the room mm-hmm. what do I want talked about by the people on the operating table like I don't want them to talk about yes. the weekend <laughs> all of those things yeah <laughs> yeah yep. my doctor was talking about how depressing it was that they just got back from Hawaii and it was snowing oh my god and I was like awesome Thank so great. glad that it's snowing and you're depressed because it's snowing and I'm having a baby, (laughs) you know, but no, and no one was talking to me. And so, yeah, all of those things, like they're really important. And I think through finding your provider, um, no matter what, if you want a a repeat cesarean or a VBAC, like you said, one, you're not failing no matter how you give birth and two, just communicate that and have that amazing experience that you deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. And yeah, you mentioned your own VBAC journey earlier a bit about your first births can you tell us a little bit about your own VBAC story can you delve into that yeah yes 
Yeah. So yeah. So I had the two repeat cesareans or the cesarean and a repeat cesarean and um, just really wanted to be back. I was with uh, one of easily one of at the time uh, most supportive providers in our area. Um, and he was wonderful. And I did, I feel really great with him. It was really wonderful. And I felt supported. Um, and then at 24 weeks, something inside of me said, you're not in the right place. Mm. And it was really weird to me, confusing, because I'm like, but I just found this doctor after 12 doctors, I just found this amazing doctor that was like, yeah, let's do it. I support you, you know, all these things. And so it felt really off. But with my second C-section at 36 weeks, I had a feeling that I should change providers because he was kind of changing his tune mm. and showing me some red flags. And um, I didn't change. And then I walked down for, you know, an unnecessary second C-section. And so I said, oh, crap, I guess I'll just figure this out. So I kind of nonchalantly started looking again because, again, I had interviewed 12 providers, wow. right? And I was just not really finding the provider that I wanted. Um, and as a doula, I was attending a birth on Christmas Eve and this midwife was blowing me away. And I was like, Whoa, I want her. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, after the birth, I said, Hey, like, do you care after the holidays? If I like schedule a visit with you? And she's like, yeah, no problem. So, uh, biggest thing is she was out of hospital. Right. And my husband wasn't super like keen on that idea. He wasn't loving that idea. Um, but I met with her and everything, all my bells were going off in a happy way. I was like, yes, this is the place. This is so good. So I talked to my husband and he's like, yeah, okay, whatever you want. Like, I trust you. You've done a lot of research. You know, if it's safe or not to birth out of hospital, um, you know? And so I was like, okay, great. So I started with her and it was amazing. And at 41 weeks, five days, um, Actually, maybe it was, yeah, wait, it was 40 weeks, five days, almost 41 weeks. It's 40 weeks, five days, um, my water broke. And that is exactly how my other birth started. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually triggered me big yeah, time. fair enough. Really hard. Uh, so I, I triggered and I went into the driveway and I was throwing a fit saying, ah, if my water just didn't break, I would have this feedback. And my husband's like, whoa, 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 like, just fine, but whatever, you throw your little fit. So I got it all out. And I think that's really important to birth. Like it's okay to explode, whether it's yelling, whether it's crying, whether it's whatever, like get it out. Mm. Right. I needed to get it out. Um, so anyway, so, um, I got myself together (laughs) and, uh, started laboring and I started contracting and things were going really well. I was kind of going slow, but that was okay. And, um, finally ended up meeting with my midwife the next morning and, um, we, I was four centimeters, which is further than I'd ever been, wow. which was a huge deal for me because not only did, was I told that my pelvis was too small and I'd never get a baby out of it. I was also told my, my body didn't know how to dilate and it, it wouldn't ever do its job. Um, and so four centimeters was a big deal for me because I'd only made it to three. And so I was like, okay, great. So we went and we labored and I was eating and drinking and taking walks outside and, um, things were progressing and I got checked again and I was six centimeters and I was like, yeah, this is amazing, you know? And then time went real slow <laughs> and I was like, why aren't I, why aren't I progressing? And I had a lot of back labor, which it's really funny. Cause as a doula, like I would have recognized, Oh, we maybe have a posterior baby, but I was like, 
uh, just not in it, mm-hmm. right? Like I couldn't doula myself. So that's <laughs> important to note as well. You can't doula yourself, even if you're a doula. So anyway, so we worked really hard on fetal rotation and, um, you know, at the very end, it ended up being 42 hours, but I was, I was feeling really pushy and my midwife came over and she checked me and then she got up and walked away. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I didn't really know what that meant. And my, uh, my midwife soon brings in a a squat stool. And I was like, and like my eyes were big and I was like, wait, I know what that, no, that can't, (laughs) like, I know what that means, but no, 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 no. (laughs) And she said, come over here. Let's have a baby. Oh my gosh. And I said, what? (laughs) She's like, come over here. So I go over to the birth stool. I sit down. She's like, okay, your husband's going to sit behind you. You're going to put your legs up on my shoulders. So I'm in this squat stool with my legs up on her shoulders. (laughs) Right. And she's like, the next one we're going to push. I was like, like, it was so weird, Mm. but so amazing. Like I couldn't believe that I was where I had dreamt of for so long. And it was actually mm-hmm. happening right now. I wasn't dreaming anymore. Um, so anyway, so I gave a really, really good push. And she was like, oh, okay. And I just remember feeling so much pressure. And I loved it. <laughs> I I just wanted to sink into that because I knew that was my baby. He was coming. He was coming to join me. Mm-hmm. And um, so we rested again. And I pushed again. And she said, Megan, reach down and grab your baby. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? She said, reach down and grab your baby. Like I, my baby's seven. You just saw him, Mm. right? And I reached down and I grabbed his little Mm. head and I kind of slide my, slid my hands down to it underneath his armpits. I pulled him Mm. out and I just started screaming, you guys, I did it. I did it. I did it. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that my baby just came out of my vagina (laughs) and was sitting on my chest. Right. And it was just the most amazing feeling. And after my, after my birth, like I just wanted to scream into the rooftop. Um, and of course now we started the feedback link and now I scream into the rooftop. <laughs> you can do it every day. Awesome. You can do it. Yeah. You can do it. Um, but yeah, I just, I will forever, forever and ever be grateful to my team. I had a team of doulas. I had my midwife. I had my husband who didn't understand. He didn't understand why I wanted to have a VBAC. He was like, I don't understand why we can't just go unzip you and have a baby in 25 minutes. Like, why? And I was like, well, first of all, no, we don't unzip me. (laughs) And two, like, no, like those were like very triggering to me, you know, like do not say that. Mm. But at the same time, I I also understand he was like, well, why wouldn't we go the easy way out? Which is also not the easy Mm. way out. But to him, it's quick and fast and easy, right? Mm. So he wasn't, he wasn't understanding, but I will forever be grateful for him for supporting me and, and letting me, um, letting me trust my own self, like my body, you know, letting me take the lead and trusting me to do what's best for me and my son. Mm. Right. So, um, anyway, it was, it was just the most amazing experience. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. All of us, all of us were bawling Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was amazing. Um, but I'll forever, uh, yeah, I'll forever cherish it. Oh, amazing. I feel like I was right there with you and it was so beautiful to hear. Thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And can you, yeah, as a takeaway for today, um, can you tell us about 
yeah, what you've learned from your pot, your beautiful podcast about BVAC and birth in general from all of the wonderful people that you have interviewed there, as well as any kind of like overall takeaway tips for listeners on their own BVAC journeys. Yeah. So, you know, I've learned so much through our listeners. And I think one of the biggest things that we've learned is that anything is possible. Anything. And that's, that goes on good and bad situations, right? Anything is possible. But as long as our, like, I have found that through our listeners, as long as they're feeling educated, they're feeling supported, even if it didn't end up in a VBAC or exactly the way they wanted it, they tend to view their birth in a more positive light. And so as you are preparing, prepare to every extent that you can and prepare and educate and feel supported. So in the end, even if it doesn't happen exactly how you want it, you can have a better outlook on your birth. You can have a better experience. You can have a better postpartum journey. You can, you know, look at that baby and be like, we did it. We worked our butts off to get here, right? And pregnancy in itself, you're working your butt off. So um, I feel like, yeah, through everything, just anything is possible. Um, I feel like through the podcast, I have turned to be more, um, I don't know the right word. It's not supportive necessarily, but I'm not, not supportive. Just, um, more faithful in VBAC, in VBAC with induction. Mm -hmm. So I think through listening through all of these induction stories, it's like, okay, listen, like these can happen and induction doesn't have to be a bad thing, Hmm. right? doesn't have to be big, scary, and bad. doesn't have to be the thing that leads to a cesarean. Because I think for a little bit, I would tend to be, I would, you know, even as a doula, I'd be like, oh, these guys just got induced and they had a C-section. It could have been avoided. And maybe it could have, I don't know. But, um, I guess through the podcast, I've learned more on not being scared of induction, Mm. but I'm still a very big advocate of spontaneous labor. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's so many things just um, getting in a good mindset. I think it's so important. And again, like I said, knowing that you can do it, Mm. whatever you put your mind through. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, yeah, is, um, as people are looking um, to find more, um, if they want to visit um, our Facebook community, we have a like huge, it's like, oh, it's big to me. It's 16,000 um, people that are wanting to know all the things about VBAC and share um, their VBAC journeys, just like you. Uh, it's called the VBAC Link Community on Facebook. It is a private group. You do have to answer questions to get in. And um, it's a no BS, no tolerance for BS group. So if there is bad things happening um, or you're shaming people, that's maybe not the, if you yeah. like to shame people, <laughs> via social media, it's not, yeah, it's not the group for you and I will kick you out. <laughs> um, but we want that group to be a safe, loving place because we are all in this journey together, right? And why not have the community um, of people all over the world. Mm. Um, so there's that we have blog, we have the podcast that you mentioned in the beginning, the VBAC link podcast that's filled with, uh, VBAC stories worldwide. Uh, we have a, a blog and then we have an education course and we have a doula, 
Um, we have a doula listing, so Amazing. directory. So if you're looking for a doula, we have VBAC trained, specifically VBAC trained doulas um, that are absolutely amazing. And so many of our community members have just been loving them. Yeah. Oh, so good. You've got such a wealth of information and knowledge for people. Yeah. Wanting VBACs. And it's, yeah, that's amazing. And I've so many of your blog articles have come up. If I've ever, you know, Googled a query that I have about VBAC or something, you have these great evidence-based um, yes. blogs as well, which I really, really love. Yeah. On tons of topics surrounding mm-hmm. VBAC. So there's a lot of information. All bases there. covered. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Megan, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been so great to speak to you. And I know that I've taken a lot out of everything that you've said. I've learned so many things and I hope mm. that everyone listening, yeah, has, feels more informed for their own journeys. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here with you. Um, Always, we're always answering questions and things like that in our community as well. So if you guys have a question, pop over and and ask us. Um, And then before we leave, I have one more book that I want to suggest to everybody and I can send you a link for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to show you, but it's right here, Birth After Cesarean. Mm -hmm. And it's actually by Hazel Keetle. I love it. It's filled with another um, wealth of, you know, She's just got a wealth of information, so many amazing stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very uplifting book if you're yeah. if you're into reading books. Yes, I just finished that exact book and um Hazel's on on this series of the podcast as well. So oh, <laughs> she's amazing. She's so good. She's so good. She's yeah. So good. Love Wait, her. so you're you're already recorded with her? Yeah, recorded with her. Okay. Yes. We've got a great um, episode. Which episode? Because I need to go listen. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll link it through to you. I think it'll come out maybe the one, the one after yours. I'm still kind of putting everything together with how I want it to come out but yeah she's wonderful great she's wonderful so definitely would suggest that book as well if you're into reading yeah yeah and it's available lots of different bookshops and yeah everywhere everywhere online online. yeah yeah great yep yeah yeah okay all right well thank you so much yes you too enjoy the rest of your day (laughs) okay you too talk to you later Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. I know that I got a lot out of it and felt really inspired speaking with Megan. In next week's episode, we're joined by Physio Laura from uh, the Pregnancy Posse from her own podcast, Pregnancy with Physio Laura. Now we talk about things that we can do during pregnancy to prepare and empower ourselves for a VBAC, which is going to be a really great episode as well. So keep your eyes out for that. And we've also, as Megan and I were just discussing, we've got an episode with the wonderful Hazel Cadle coming up on episode three as well, which is around the importance of language around VBAC and choosing a truly supportive care provider. And some great episodes coming towards the end of the series as well. So make sure you subscribe to stay updated with episode releases and you can get them straight into your inbox when they do release. You can also follow our Instagram at Definitely Baby Podcast and touch base there with some feedback or to discuss your own feedback journey. I would love to hear from you there. Have a beautiful rest of your day and I will see you for next week's lovely episode.